show, Sportsnet 59, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Toronto Maple Leafs continued their second period domination. That was the last oh, year. I forgot. Canadians stink. They the should build period. the whole game out of the second period. Yeah, they should. They should. Uh, 6 5. Not the first five players. minutes. Definitely not that. Just <laughs> just chuck that out. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, not, not an ideal start they for the Maple are, Leafs. And, and that's part of the discussion. You got to start on time, as a wise man once said then, in, then in these said, parts. Then he said, give me your phone so I can set an alarm on it. <laughs> Make sure you're starting on time and look at whatever else I want. No, uh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. probably. Um, yeah, they didn't start on time. They were down 2 nothing, And then they were up 3-2. And they were down 5-3. to three. Um and then they were tied at five, and then they won 6-5 in a shootout. So you get the two points at this point in the season. I guess that's all you're looking for. There's some new pieces here. We're trying to get a, a glimpse of, of what this team is and how different it might be than previous iterations and some pretty notable new faces, and specifically mm-hmm. the blue line. Is this a, a, the blue line of a Stanley Cup champion? It eh, feels like probably not, but that's okay. You, you don't go into a season in the cap era with a totally complete team, and that's a clear area of need that Bradtree Living, I think, would be open at admitting that it's a work in progress, which I believe is actually his exact phraseology at points this this preseason. And it depends when you ask me. He also said a sneaky underrated yeah, group right. at very, various <laughs> times. So depending on how forthright he feels like being on any given moment there, which, hey, like, them's the breaks. You get asked the same question 5,000 times, you're probably going to answer it differently on different days. But, yeah, it is, it is funny that that quote – has kind of slowly stopped being so forthful of us oh, an underrated group kind yeah. of sneaky yeah, maybe not maybe just like not very good right now and and, and maybe and properly rated properly rated as the major area of weakness and certainly after game 1 against the Montreal Canadiens it's one of two areas that you're pointing at as ooh uh, real, real head scratchers mm-hmm. or, or real areas to monitor going forward. The other one being goaltending. And we already had the conversation about who you would start in mm-hmm. Saturday's game against the, the Minnesota wild. But yeah, in an overall sense, like would you feel positive if you're Sheldon Keefe after the opening 65 minutes plus shootout? It depends how you want to look at life really. And he's a hockey coach. So uh, the negative side of things pro- probably there. If again, it, it kind of goes back to the conversation we had about Frazier Minton, right? When you're looking at Frazier Minton through specifically the lens of how you should treat him, you didn't like the start to his game, but I think you love that he was able to find his legs and he was able to be, if not a contributor, you know, uh, just treading water out there. wasn't killing you. wasn't hurting you. wasn't really helping you one way or another. I think you like that, but you don't think of your Leafs team like you think of Frazier Minton, a kid barely breaking into the NHL. You think of them as hopefully cup contenders. Now, I don't think you make too much out of the first game of the season. It always looks like that against Montreal. It just does. This is how the Le- I honestly just genuinely think it is the penance the Leafs have to pay for two things. One, somehow not coming through in that Canadian bubble series. They will just lose to this Canadian team or have games that look like that forever. And everything that happened with the Battle of Ontario in the early 2000s. It's just these are penance you have to pay for this. So I don't think you make too, too much out of it. But you do make a lot out of it if it looks like that again on Saturday night. I think everybody does get a little bit of a, okay, you got your sea legs under you. You yeah. got that one under, you got that one out of the way. It has to look better on Saturday night. And I don't know, like in season before the deadline, before like it, 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 you can swing for the fences as far as bringing in significant additions to the blue line. It's kind of rearranging the deck chairs back there. Mm-hmm. Up front, 
there's some moves to be made totally. and and line changes that can occur. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about Max Domi, mm-hmm. who, yeah, uh, only played 11:39 yesterday. A lot of special teams in that hockey game. He was a minus two, but we we talked about that line just as a as a whole. He, mm-hmm. John Tavares, and William Nylander, perhaps having some issues in their own zone. Yeah, we, we can talk about the blue line making three pretty egregious mistakes resulting in three goals, but that that's yeah, that hasn't gone away either. They after one hockey game, the idea that that that, that line might create some offense and that'll outweigh their defensive issues. Okay, that's still alive, but the defensive issues part was on display yesterday. Yeah, I think that's going to be the interesting thing to watch with Sheldon is how much he wants to kind of give these lines a real chance to see what they are versus kind of mixing and matching. Because again, we all think of lines as, okay, these are the lines you start the game with. How many times last year was Sheldon Keefe just building checking lines out of, ah, give me this right winger, yeah, give me this left winger, I'll put him with this center at the end of games. You're going to see that. And if that means Max Domi is getting taken off of that group to give them more of a defensive conscience, because there's got to be one out there with Nylander, Tavares, and, and Domi. And I think Tavares is responsible in the sense that he has a conscience. It's just a foot speed issue. Right. With Nylander, it's the exact opposite. The foot speed's there. It's just the occasional glimpses. And Max Domi, the die is who he is. So I can see a world where he kind of gets removed off of that line at certain points in the game. Maybe it's more of a yarn crook that you put there to to kind of have more of a worker B type. I can see that happening. But honestly, I feel like that's the spot for Matthew Nyes. I know the plan is that him and Minton have chemistry together, but I would like to see Nyes having more of a chance to thrive as opposed to just kind of being a security blanket for Minton effectively. Well, but then is Max Domi on your third line where you're, yeah, you'd like to create some offense out of that third line, but that's the, it, it needs to at the very least be a, a, a line that is responsible defensively. Well, and that's why they've liked Minton and Nyes together is because despite the age of those guys, they do trust them there. And then obviously Yarn Croak is a pretty responsible player. Not that he's some defensive stalwart, but he just is, gives you an honest game on a shift there. So that, I mean, that's been always, that's why I kind of call Domi, Kerfoot, right? When I was doing our, mm. this guy's this guy, this guy's this guy, they're different players. Very but... different. I mean, and Kerfoot, say what you will about the offense or lack thereof yeah. that he yeah. created, you play on the penalty kill. Hey, this is what I was getting at is that they're different players, but it's the same thing of where do you go? What do you uh, do here? Kerfoot was able to do exactly a little do bit do of everything, here? but never a definitive role. Maybe they try him at center. Or something. And I just feel like that's how the year is going to go to a certain extent with Domi is a lot of mixing and matching and trying to find the right spot for him. Cause I I don't know that it's super obvious because well, that makes the most sense to start it. But I, but as the game gets later, I don't know where the home is for him. Well, to that point, is there not more pressure on him to create offense than almost anybody else in this hockey team? Like obviously, yeah, did totally. Uh, Austin Matthews needs to score his goals, but he's going to, but yeah, he provides other things. Uh, there's, there's guys that you don't have questions about. This is his first season as a Toronto Maple Leaf and maybe his only season as yep. a Toronto Maple Leaf. And unless he turns into a totally different player, he's a one way Dude, right? Yep. Like he is not a 200 foot player, and if he can't hack it in in the top six, I what the hell is his fit? Well, that's the that is exactly the question. Is that he is he he proved he is a very capable playmaker, and I think that that's why they want to try him with Tavares and Nylander, right? Nylander's obviously a great playmaker in his own right, but he's a finisher. You see what he's capable of. We haven't even talked about his bomb last night, an absolute cannon from from yes. Nylander on on his goal, and we know what Tavares is capable of. I do wonder if you build the team, and so much of this goes to the question of what is Fraser Min 
Edmonton, how much do you trust a third line with kids on it is if you can just feed that Tavares, Dominila, underline offensive zone starts and then kind of keep everything else in the or the other three lines for your, your defensive zone. It does kind of open you up that way. So maybe that's the way they go about it. Okay, uh, they tried to protect that line. No, oh, I know, though, I know. So. Just because they tried doesn't mean it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's just something I'm, I'm, I'm keeping an eye out for, and and especially when, again, we're talking about the goaltending in relation to a team just as a whole that was very defensively responsible. Well, and, and you, you, sorry, it's just not to cut you off, but you yeah. can't even do the thing where you say, ah, this is our shutdown pair, and we're going to put them out there no, to kind of because that doesn't exist either. Yeah, and and TJ Brody bounced back after falling down. But yeah, th- we're on high alert for the regression totally. there as as well. And yeah, to, to talk about Morgan Riley and TJ Brody being your your shutdown pair that you can you can staple to that second line. How many that's, times are you gonna do this? We can't again. You know that that seems like a, a major area of concern for the Maple Leafs. But you, you can't get too concerned after picking up two points. Uh, against your original six rival, albeit in weirdo fashion, and coming Matthews back. Matthews hat trick. Say that as well. Oh yeah, this yeah, that was good. Uh, but yeah, you scored two six on five goals to tie it up, uh, and then win it in a shootout. Minnesota Wild on Saturday on Hockey Night in Canada. All right, this insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's insider, Mike Rupp, Stanley Cup champ. NHL Network analyst, and in fact, you can see Mike on NHL Network's NHL Now, which also airs on Sportsnet 1, 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. How's it going, Mike? What's up? Good morning. Uh, it's all good. I'm happy hockey season's underway, and uh, glad to be on here with you guys this morning. Yeah, we're glad to have you, Mike, and and Leaf fans certainly happy to, to have two points in their back pocket, and uh, Sheldon Keefe, I'm also happy to have the two points the way they went about it. Probably not ideal for an NHL head coach, but we also saw some physical pushback in in that hockey game. Is there any indication to you, Mike, that, yeah, like the the addition of of some physical players and Ryan Reeves and and Tyler Bertuzzi actually might have an impact on on the way this this Leafs team plays physically? Yeah, I definitely think it does. I mean, I I think that it's uh, those are guys that, they play a particular style that, that helps. And, um, you know, I think it's a real value in the league still. Um, you need to have a, a taste of it. Um, I have always thought this when, you t- when you're talking about uh, adding guys like uh, Ryan Reeves. I, I think it's very important that you don't sit there and think, well, because we've got Revo here, we are uh, a tough team. We don't, you know, no one else has to kind of get involved in those things. I think it's more that, Hey, we've got that guy, so we can get involved now, you know, because people aren't going to really be looking for it. We can kind of initiate some physical play more. Um, if they do that, um, this team's, you know, the, the sky's the limit. I think they're super talented. I think that's an element that they have been missing over the last number of years. They've tried in different ways to get it, but I, I feel like this has been a, a really good offseason for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And um, yeah, I just think that that's an area that they showed in game one. They've got pushback. And you mentioned it. It's not a game Sheldon Keith or uh, Marty St. Louis is going to want to uh, mark and be like, hey, that's uh, that's the, the kind of game that we're going to play this year. Uh, but it was exciting for fans, right? Like you're watching that game. You're like, yes, this is the type of hockey I want to see right now. Um, some back and forth seesaw action between, uh, you know, two rivalries. And um, I thought it was a good one. 
Yeah, I said for people who were in the building last night, you know, their checklist probably starts with at the very at the very top. They want two points. You're a Leaf fan. You want to watch your team win. You'd like a fight. You got that. You like a goal from your big guys. You got three of them from Matthews. You got another from Nylander. Like it really did check all the boxes and we can worry about the coaching stuff later. That's for the coaches to, to worry about. You know, I do want to just drive down a uh, drill down on the point you just made there about the team toughness and with Matthews, you know, this is something you haven't shied about uh, talking about. I think sometimes you're the, the people talk about your opinions on him a little too harshly. Like, you don't like the player. We know you do Mike, but there was a moment in last night's game where Tyler Bertuzzi just kind of loses it out in a scrum. Mark Giordano comes flying in. He's 40 years old and he's jumping over the top. And the third guy in there, not the fourth, not the fifth, the third guy in there was Austin Matthews last night. And I've watched this guy play just about every pro game he's ever played. And I can't tell you the last time I saw that. Do you think we get a different version of him specifically? And I don't know if that's the contract. I don't know if it's that he's 26 years old. I don't know if it's Reeves. I don't know if it's Bertuzzi or if it's some combination of the boat, uh, all of those. But do you think we get a different version of him this year, potentially? Yeah, I, I hope so. I mean, I, I think that that's, um, geez, I don't want to put it all on one guy because I think it goes beyond him even. But, um, you know, when you're, I guess here's the thing, and, and I don't want star players fighting ever. I really don't. I, I But um, from being on a team with Sidney Crosby and playing on, on teams with some superstars, um, when they do, it just does something. It does something to the group. Not not even get in a fight, just get involved. Get in there with me. Be in the trenches with me. Be shoulder to shoulder with me. When you do that, I don't want them to be focused on that all the time. But, man, when you do it, it does everything. So, um, you know, Austin Matthews, and part of that that you mentioned, too, with some of these superstars, some of it eventually just gets figured out with age, right? Like, you, you, you figure out you know, that element of it, and that comes in time, but it also comes by frustration because you've experienced the heartbreak of getting knocked out of the playoffs and you see teams that go on and you see what they're doing. So, I mean, I, listen, this whole stuff, and I, I know I've been kind of uh, heavy on uh, Austin Matthews, maybe in that regard over the last year and a half or so, but I think that, like, I'm a huge fan of his. Like, he is a fantastic player that that'll make him even more well-rounded, even more of a leader. And I think that's what's, that's what's stopping this team from taking the next step. I mean, this is a Stanley Cup-worthy team that is missing that element. And if they can bring it like that, and just, just to know that the, everyone's in, all on board, we'll all get our noses dirty. Um, I don't think there's any limit to what this Leafs team can do. Yeah, it's a regular season game. But, yeah, we need to see that he's, he's capable of that type of play to, to, to imagine him – uh, bringing it out uh, in April and and May. Um, so that was is sloppy game yesterday. We've seen some sloppy games already in the early returns across the NHL. And boy, Edmonton Oilers are hoping that's just a early season sloppiness. Like how 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 long does it take, Mike, for these players to feel like okay, we're in mid season form here. That this this is the way we 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 want to be playing after a long preseason. Um, but yeah, nothing. Uh, quite replicates a regular season hockey game. Like how long until these guys feel like they're in midseason shape? Honestly, I think it's different for every player. I was, I was a really slow starter for seasons, you know, like I didn't feel good until probably game. I mean, I had to get a few under my belt and um, you know, I was one, I, I didn't love the starts of, of seasons because it just, it, like you said, it's tough to replicate it. And, and the style that I had to play, like everything was pretty much predicated on, on um, kind of the four check getting in there being physical and, and um, you can't really, you got to just do it. 
And uh, so it would usually take me a couple games, but I also think that the mentality of whenever you get your first two wins in a row, that's when you feel like, so if you win your first two regular season games, or if you win two out of your four, maybe it takes a while to get your first two wins like in a row uh, or, you know, two out of three, you start feeling like, all right, this is what we want. This is, this is what we, this is the groove we're getting in. We're finding our groove. And a lot of times I think as a player, you don't feel like you ever settle in until you win a couple you know, win a couple in a row or two out of three. So, um, you know, the earlier you get it done, you can kind of settle in. But starts are everything in this league. We've seen it. We've seen teams like the Ottawa Senators. They 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 shot themselves in the foot the last number of years because of their starts. And um, then we've also had some teams that start really good. And quite frankly, they kind of stink the rest of the way. But they're kind of in the conversation all year because of that great start. So, um, yeah, it usually takes a couple games, but uh, more or less, I think it's just almost a trick that you have to have for yourself. Once we get a couple wins under our belt, we feel like we're ready to go. Yeah, it is amazing how stuff can spiral one way or another, right? I mean, we, we saw with this Leafs team, there were some people who thought Sheldon Keefe was on, on the hot seat to start the last couple of years, and look at him now. He's got a shiny new contract extension in his pocket, so it is crazy uh, how, how quickly things could change. You know, you mentioned the Sens. They've had trouble getting off to, to hot starts. They picked up a loss last night to the Hurricanes. Now, that's no knock on them. Hurricanes, I think a lot of people expect to be right there at the, at the top of the East, but other than the Leafs, how do you see the Atlantic shaking out? Because to me, not to say they're going to win it, but they should pretty clearly be the class of that division with the step back that I expect Boston to take and Tampa without Vasilevsky for such a long chunk of it. But out of those other teams that are pushing, be it Ottawa, be it Buffalo, do you expect one or two of them to kind of jump over Boston and Tampa and, and even Florida and really, really insert themselves into this Atlantic division? Yeah, I do. Um, the, the Atlantic division, I, I think, is is solely, that's it, it, Toronto's division to lose. I mean that that's they they have that team that can run away with that division. I actually don't think it's a great thing if they do run away with it. We've seen Tampa do that in the past. We've seen some great teams. Once you kind of lose some resistance and battling for the division, you, that's where bad habits kind of creep in later on. So um, I think if you're a Leafs fan, I'd like for some team to be pushing in the neighborhood of Toronto all year, just to kind of you know keep everybody dotting their eyes and, and, and crossing their teeth. Um, but I don't know who that team is because you mentioned the Boston Bruins. I still think that's a very good team. Uh, they're not going to be anywhere near what they were last year. So are they a playoff team? Yeah, they should still be a playoff team, but they're not a 130 whatever point team. Um, you know, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, that's, that, that is the one player in the National Hockey League that I think a team, any team could not afford to lose mm-hmm. just the way the team structured and the position of the player. Andre Vasilevsky being him having him out until potentially December, there's really no backup plan. That team is extremely vulnerable, but it's still a very good team. And they got a big win in night one on, on Tuesday against Nashville. So we'll see how they go, but they're not going to be as good as they, they, they once were. They, they, um, you know, you can say that about Florida Panthers. I don't have them making the playoffs this year. I just think that there was a magical run. A lot of stars aligned. Matthew Kachuk pretty much willed this team and like, there's it's 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 wide open in that division, but I don't think this team is going to be as good. So that keeps my eyes on the Ottawa Senators, Buffalo Sabers. Those are the teams, Detroit Red Wings. Like uh, those are the teams you really look at, um, and you and you sit there and you're like, they've got promise. They've they've got the ability. I'd rather keep it more just Ottawa and Buffalo because those are the teams I think are really going to push in this division yeah. as far as being better, pushing for playoff spots. 
Um, so that, that's where it's at. It's kind of a new division and a new changing of the guard in some way, but Toronto's still the, the, the top of this group, and I think they'll remain there um, all season long. Yeah, and the, the Bruins and Lightning picking up season-opening victories. The Bruins yesterday uh, over a Blackhawks team that was playing on back-to-backs. Connor Bedard starting his career with a two-game point streak. He scores his first goal of his NHL career yesterday. Mike, uh, this guy obviously had tremendous hype around him, and he's had to go through the ringer as far as media uh, obligations here. He's, he's in some major, major hockey markets. He's going to be in Toronto on Monday to perform as well as he has through his first two games. I, I, I know a lot is expected of him. It's not like it's surprising, but what can you say about the, the kid to, to have the microscope on him the way he has to, to be labeled as the next generational star to, to already put up a couple of points, including his first goal in his second NHL game? I, he's been incredible. I mean, I was watching, uh, obviously, a lot of eyes on game one in Pittsburgh. He was fantastic. And the puck followed him around. It's just all those great things that you say about great players. The puck follows him around. He's always around the play. He's kind of hovering. He's reading plays. He's anticipating. Like, he was on numerous, on numerous occasions just kind of looking for the play that was going to be. And he was there. And the puck squirts out and gets on his stick. And uh, I'm surprised he didn't score in game one with all the, the opportunities he had. He had a great shot, his trademark, pull it in almost like Austin Matthews as a righty, though, and pull it in and, and take a shot. Almost beats Tristan Jari from distance. Um, it was a fantastic game one, early game two goal, and it, it's go, it's it's going now. Like, you know, like he's, he, he, this, this kid's going to be, I mean, he's fun to watch. I do think it's going to be a long season in Chicago, um, but this is going to be the bright spot. We're going to watch this kid continue to develop. Um, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know how, what he's going to do numbers wise this year, but all I know is he's controlling the game when the puck's on his stick. And I don't think that many guys can do that when they come in the league. And it's one little tidbit. And in that, you know, I know a lot of people are talking about in game one, uh, face-offs were not, you know, who cares right now? Like, honestly, who cares about face-offs right now? You know, just get comfortable playing the game and playing to your strengths. That stuff will come. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when Sidney Crosby came in the league, I played against him. He put up a lot of points. We know that. We knew that that's what he does. He was not good at face-offs, did not have a good shot, but he worked on those things. When I fast-forward however many years later, when I got uh, fortunate enough to play with him in Pittsburgh, after the 09 cup, I came that summer um, and I went into Pittsburgh and, and he changed his, his, his blade. He wanted to score more goals. Didn't want people to play him uh, as a pass first guy that year. He scored 50. Okay. Just by like working at it, taking shots, changing his stick. And then he said also at the, at the end of games, he wasn't the guy to go out there to protect leads to take face offs. He, he is a competitor. He wanted to do that. He, he wanted to be better at faceoffs. That year, he was the top, I think, five faceoff guy in the National Hockey League. Point being, Connor Bedard, he's going to work at those things. That's what gets these guys great. They have that passion. They want to be the best. So the faceoffs, the intangibles, he's going to learn those things. But in the meantime, we can all kick back and relax. This kid's got an incredible shot. And he's going to be a he's going to be worth the price of admission all season long. Oh yeah, I can't wait to watch him. And I have been watching him, but can't wait to to see the media frenzy that surrounds him on Monday. But yeah, in in a way, Mike, isn't it kind of good that he gets these these major media markets out of the way early? Yeah, I think it's huge. I think it's great for the league. And I mean, the fact that we can have him on national TV down here in the states, even uh, two nights in a row, back to back. I mean, it's a little. 
a little tough on the kid. Hey, welcome to the National Hockey League. You're going to play a back-to-back right off the hop. But uh, he seems to be handling it in stride, uh, get these markets kind of out of the way. I mean, once you play in Toronto, yeah. I think uh, after that, everything's just kind of icing on the cake. So, That's you know, right. you want to get that, uh, especially when you get the attention he's going to get. So it's going to be a fun, uh, fun day on Monday. Uh, off to a great start. Uh, Mike, appreciate the time. Good morning. All right. Good morning, guys. Thank you very much. All right. There is Mike Rupp, Stanley Cup champ, NHL Network analyst. You can watch NHL now on Sportsnet 1, 4 to 6 p.m. And this insider was brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Okay. So a couple things there. First, uh, interview related, but not sport related. You're not wrong to do it. It felt odd to I, say goodbye oh, to someone dude. while saying good morning to them. I, it's that, a, like, it's a, what do you think it is? Aloha? No, I, it, I'm i glad you brought it up. Ooh. I was going to bring it up. What are you doing? <laughs> it makes sense, right? Like you say, it, hey, it, or if I had said have a great morning. Yeah, that would be so much better than good morning. Good morning. Goodbye. It, yeah. That no, was so weird. You're Why so did you right. do that? I don't know. Okay, and it's a borderline <laughs> miracle. I've remembered the other thing I wanted to talk about after hearing that. Thank you for bringing that up, though, because as I was saying, I, I was just, like... Just for all the listeners, when we end our little pre-show meeting, yeah. I'm going to say good, good morning, morning to all you guys and just walk away. Dude, I think maybe this is the start of something. Maybe that's how I'm going to do it. And then Rupp said good, good morning. morning to me. No, and... he is definitely with whoever he's with. Like, that guy's a serial killer. No, he but he said, said it. He didn't have to say it no, back. He, he's or a maybe good he guest. Was... He's a polite guy. He's a Hockeyman. Of course he's going to say it back. Good morning. Good morning. The other thing Have I want. Have a wanted, great morning. No. That, see? So much better. Good morning. God, that threw my brain not, for a you, loop. Okay, so the, I'm, I know. a lot I'm adjusting yeah, to doing this. Yeah, most people are saying goodbye to people no, at 826. I, I know, right? Like, I'm, yeah. I, I, there's a whole different world of colloquialisms when that I dropping, have to figure out here in the morning. When you're dropping your kid off at school, you don't say... Good morning. I, honestly, you say have a good day, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. We can move on. Sorry. That was what super was the weird. other thing you were yeah. gonna say? Uh, Connor Bedard. I forgot it. Oh, you remembered it. Good uh, for you. So we had the great graphic of uh, Wayne Gretzky, eight hundred and ninety, whatever. Connor yeah, Bedard. Funny. This is really funny. It's ahead of Wayner. Wayner didn't score until his third game. What a loser. What a loser. Well, uh, Bedard, but, or sorry, Connor McDavid, I don't think had a point in his first two games. Uh, Wayner did have a six-game point streak off the hop, though, so got to get to six. I need it. I, I, I need Bedard to have a point streak longer than Wayne Gretzky's to start his pro hockey career. I would love, love, love that. Because, look, like the records, all that, so we don't need to do it. But he is so clearly one of these guys, and I can't believe I'm about to say this because this feels sacrilege. Just off personality, and I'm going solely off of the 10,000 interviews he had to do and the sit down on the couch with Colby and Sid, this guy's so much more Crosby than McDavid is. McDavid's his own entity, personality-wise. Bedard seems to have that Crosby singularly focused. And I'm not saying this is a knock on McDavid like he doesn't care. I just think Mm -hmm. that Crosby is such a one-of-one wired and I honestly, it's like I am doing complete body language doctor stuff, mm-hmm. but I look at Bedard and I just think he's wired that way. I really do. Well, and nobody skates like McDavid either. No, no, that's the thing. Like, and well, and I'm happy you brought that up because that was one other thing. I don't like that he's the shot guy. Mm-hmm. Matthews was supposed to be the shot guy for a whole, he, for now. I don't know how long that's going to last. If, if Bedard is that good at everything and that's the thing that they point out, it's just, you know, McDavid gets to be the fast guy. Yeah. Sid gets to be the hockey player. Because that's really what he is, right? Like, yeah. There's no like the winner, the winner, right? And Matthews was supposed to be the shot guy. Yeah. I don't know. 
happening. Bedard's going to be just saying. He'll be, he'll he'll still be the shot guy, and then the after, American shot guy. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> after this season where he yeah he's killing penalties and Leafs have a top five penalty mm, kill and he wins it. a Selkie. We'll do he'll the Stevie just, Y thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's right. All right, all right. Um, no doubt, someone will say good morning. Good morning to to Mark Shapiro at eleven <laughs> o'clock this morning when he takes to the podium to address the assembled masses down at Rogers Center and. Try to avoid talking about baseball operations and more about the renovations. We'll see how that goes. Have you guys seen the bars around here? <laughs> no one cares. No one cares. <laughs> we'll get you set for that with our pal Adnan Verk of MLB Network when I say good morning to him on the Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 5.9, The Fan. Good morning. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Good morning? Good, good, mo- good, good morning. morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, good morning to you, Blue Jays baseball fan. <laughs> 10.30. <laughs> TBD on that. Today on Sportsnet 5.9, The Fan, Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. Early edition of Blair and Barker starting at 10.30, leading up to Mark Shapiro's Media availability at 11 o'clock, and then they will react following that on radio and television. It's, um, I think Mark Shapiro is obviously not pleased to have to clean up the mess created on Saturday, but hey, mm. spin zone on this thing, he can't look any worse than Ross Atkins did. Like in comparison, mm. Mark Shapiro, almost no matter what he says today, <laughs> Is gonna look like he's totally in control. That he that he's got it figured out, and that don't worry, I, I, I'm the I'm the leader of the ship, and we're gonna put it back in the right direction. The only way it could be worse is if he just says, "Guys, I'm really just here to talk about the renovations. I really am." That is, is actually the only way it can go worse. Because even if he comes out, it, he just comes out and says verbatim everything Atkins said. He's a layer removed from it. We yeah. actually can't believe that. <laughs> so the only way, the only way is if it's just a full, oh, I, oh, is there a conversation to be had about this? I just want to talk about the 100 level and new seats. That's honestly the only way. Yeah, I would be lying to you if I told you that I didn't think that that was a possibility. I guess they'll it's tr- weird. They'll try. It's But no, it's weird the way this thing has been laid out because I believe that the Mark Shapiro... Media availability was – actually, I know this for a fact. It was scheduled before mm-hmm. the Ross Atkins media availability on Saturday. So it's not like, hey, it's announced today that Ross Atkins is fired, right? First of all, that would be quite a bit of lead time before telling you that, yeah, the, the general manager is going to be fired. I, I don't think that's – No. Honestly, if it hasn't happened yet, I, exactly I find it, it hard to believe that it's going to happen at all this offseason. But I'm sure at the outset of this thing, when the Blue Jays were laying out their media relations timeline and John Schneider going to speak at the conclusion of game two, obviously, and not again, and there will be no like locker clean out thing mm-hmm. because a lot of guys are going to go depart to wherever they live or, or wherever they're going. going to say parts unknown. From, so cool. from Minnesota. The general manager is going to speak shortly thereafter. And while it's not ideal Saturday morning of a long weekend, it's the best we can do. And then the president will speak on Thursday, uh, more than a week removed from the baseball game, um, because what he's going to be addressing is not necessarily baseball related. It is 
related to, hey, maybe some questions about why Rogers Center played the way it did with mm-hmm. the new renovations, what renovations are upcoming this offseason, what they're expecting next year. Yeah, all that stuff is still interesting stuff that I want to hear about, but maybe like 20 minutes into this thing. Mm-hmm. The first 20 minutes has to be addressing what the hell happened during the regular season and the postseason and what the hell happened on Saturday with general manager Ross Atkins. It's going to be an interesting discussion, to be sure, as will our next one with Adnan Verk of MLB Network. Good morning, Adnan. How do you feel about like uh, ending a conversation in the morning no, with see, good morning? No, hold on, Adnan. We're going to have a show meeting on air. You, you, have, you have led the witness. You should have just said it to end the interview, and then we would have seen his reaction, how weird it was. So, good good morning, Adnan. Uh, So, good morning to end the conversation. (laughs) It just came out. Like, I didn't intend to do it, but I, like, finished our last conversation. It was like, all right, good morning. And, like, that sounds like a greeting. That's beyond baffling. I really don't know how long to explain it. That's a miss on my end, Brent, but that's okay. It happens. And well, just to be clear, it was not me who did it. It was Ben who said good morning. I oh, would never, I would never ben, do I bought, such a I thing. This bread. No, no, okay. that's that, definitely a faux pas that I'm Ben. Oh, it's funny. I uh, was just listening to a podcast. They were talking with someone that says, like, you start a, a broadcast like by saying good morning, everybody, mm-hmm. and it's like, who is the everybody? Like, whenever as soon as everybody they start looking around, and go, is there somebody else here? <laughs> like, radio is like radio is a very personal medium. Like, you're supposed to be talking one to one, right? So it should just be good morning. It's yeah. not even like hi, like hi, hi everybody. Like hey. who's the everybody? So yeah. Yeah. no good mornings to end conversations, and no everybody's at any time. Yeah, uh, who knows if it's going to be a good morning for for Blue Jays fans when when Mark Shapiro again takes to the podium at eleven o'clock today on Sportsnet five ninety the fan Sportsnet and Sportsnet three sixty. Again, it can't be worse than than Saturday. Adnan, I, I we're focused on this because it's Toronto and the Blue Jays were so so disappointing both during the regular season and in their. Two-game sample of, of the postseason plus the Gabriel Moreno thing is, is, is happening and has that Diamondbacks into the NLCS. Like, for, if, if we take a step back to the, the, the broader baseball conversation, are the Blue Jays becoming like a bit of a joke franchise? Like, how much of the, the, the conversation is what happened here the last couple of weeks for this team? Yeah, I wouldn't quite go to joke franchise, Ben, but I would definitely say they're a disappointment and teetering towards a little bit of dysfunction. Like, it's one thing to lose in the playoffs. I know we're going to get to the Dodgers and what's going on with the Braves in just a second. But, like, you know, when you're supposed to perform a certain way and you don't, you do have to do the autopsy and examine the body and see exactly what went wrong. And for the Blue Jays, in some ways, like, I thought it was apropos what happened in the Walker series because, as you've discussed, they were underachievers all year long, and then they underachieved again in the playoffs. So, you know, too often you, you buy into the thought process that, well, they've underachieved, but there's so much talent there. If they just flip the switch, they'll be fine. But, like, but no, like, like sometimes that happens. Like, the Warriors can be a sixth seed and flip the switch, like, but they've won a bunch of championships before. So, like, great teams can do that. But if you've never won before and you've underachieved all year, it's pretty hard to say, hey, I know we're an 89-win team, but we're actually, like, a 95-win team. Like, no, we're not. Like, our record is what we are. And the offense fell flat and all the rest of it. So, I think specifically to, to your point, Ben, about potential dysfunction, like, for Schneider to come out and go, you want to blame me? You want to blame the organization? Like, you know, do whatever you want. But then for Atkins to go, uh, hey, I didn't order the code red. Like, to be clear here, like, that's John's call. <laughs> like, was like, I was taken aback by it, but, I, but, but entertained as well because my, my tag team partner, Harold Reynolds, is very impassioned in saying, you know, just once I want to see one of these front offices say it's on me. Like, stop making Dave Roberts of the Dodgers or Kevin Cash of the Rays or whomever say, yeah, yeah it was my decision to pull Blake Snell or – Kershaw, whomever. So in this instance, I kind of like the fact Ross is like, hey, no, no, no. I know everyone's blaming me. It was not me. Okay, that's John's decision. 
which immediately thinks that there's going to be some sort of disconnect with the organization. So I, as you alluded to, but I'm curious to see what Shapiro has to say. Um, I asked someone the other day, and they said they might make changes to the staff, but just not John. And I said, well, that's interesting. I said, to me, it looks like there's a disconnect, so I don't, I don't know what's going to end up happening. But um, it's a surprise the way everything went down this season, and it's a surprise now the way things are unfolding. Normally, you just kind of pack your bag and say it wasn't our year, but there's a lot more to unpack before we get to that point. Yeah, boy, uh, if the change is the hitting coach next year, as much as people were calling for that that name at any given time, I don't think that's uh, going to be it. I did want to ask you just your opinion on kind of the way baseball is messaged. And, you know, we can make this about other sports and that there's so much more corporate speak in sports, whatever it is. But baseball's really kind of leaned into this. I mean, the DePoto thing from a couple weeks ago is still front of mind. There was the Atkins pressure. Do you think there is a, I don't want to overstate it to a problem with the game, because I think as the game's entertaining, no one's going to care what the GM has to say but do you think there is a bit of a cultural problem with so much of this kind of corporate speak and just less of a plain explanation of what is happening in these in these post-game or post-season pressers well you know it is frustrating when you watch baseball certainly your whole life and now it's done a different way before managers were emboldened to make all these decisions and now it becomes a front office conglomerate you know before it was an owner and a figurehead and going up to Toronto was just Paul Beeston and Pat Gillick and that's it. And then Cito Gaston, away we go. And now it's like, well, there's 12 different owners and there's one chairman and then I have a senior vice president and another person who's in charge of scouting and analytics, et cetera. So it's become more fragmented. And in some ways it's frustrating because it's harder to point your eye in a certain direction. Like if you're a Yankees fan going up in this area and you didn't like the 80s Yankees, you just blame Steinbrenner and that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, as you said, because the culture is, is just so complicated and so thick, it's hard to kind of know where to be angry. And no decision ever gets made unilaterally, it feels like. It feels like there's going to be a committee. And it makes you think of the great George Willon, who uh, was not a football fan. He adored baseball and once said football combines the two worst aspects of the 20th century, which is violence and committee meetings. <laughs> and, it, you know, it feels like baseball more than anything, you've got to have a meeting about something. Like, nobody hates a meeting more than me, trust me. I go to MLB Network, we have a meeting. Like, well, what meeting? Like, we're just going to be talking baseball today. So I, I think that this whole concept of meetings and red tape and infrastructure, it just, it just makes the game less fun, quite frankly. Yeah, and you get further away from the fact that it is a game, that it's, it's yeah. He, he, I know everybody's trying to win, and winning is very valuable from a monetary standpoint as well, right? Like, there's lots of money to be made uh, in a winning product, but like as as much as you, you have your big brain and you got your plans and 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 you've you've seemingly you've you've cracked the code on how to win major league baseball games and nobody does like then nobody has the secret sauce here and and that's what cracks me up is that these major league baseball and and Brent brought up the Jerry Depoto uh, presser from a couple of weeks ago that there there's this belief and I get it you also have to be pretty strident in your beliefs right like you can't waver from it you got to be confident but there's an underlying belief in so many of these sports executives that they they actually do know how to how to do this. When in reality, all sports like there's a huge component of luck to it, and that nobody like there's even if you're great one day, you're gonna be lousy the next. I mean, Bill Belichick could be fired in the coming weeks. Nobody knows. It's a good point about Belichick, by the way. We don't we haven't talked a lot of football recently, but you're right. The other day, I'm like, man. Like when Mac Jones is a disaster and Belichick could be in trouble, he's like punching in the game 24 nothing in the third quarter. I'm like, wow, okay. Um, but, yeah, your point is is accurate. Like 
my buddy Alex Torres the other day, someone was like, oh, you know, like he's a great manager. He's like, well, he's only got one season left on his deal. I haven't wrestled him done well recently. I'm like, well, come on, you're going to blame him for the fact they got no pitch? He's like, well, you know, yeah. they got rid of Heim Bloom now, so it's kind of <laughs> on the manager. And so it's like, you know, no matter who this person is who you think is, is unimpeachable, people will start to kind of point shots and, and kind of poke at what their issues could be. And uh, it's interesting. I'll, I'll use the Dodgers as an example. So, you know, they lose last night, and the, the convenient thought would be like, man, what a joke of a franchise. You guys are amazing in the regular season, 10 of 11 division titles, and the playoffs, you always fall flat. And yet, I swear, I think this is like some of the best managing of Dave Roberts' career. I'm like, have you seen that pitching staff? Like, yeah. he, he lost everybody. Like, Julio Arias, Tony Gonsolin, Walker Buehler, uh, Dustin May. Like, that's four starters gone, and they still were like won their division. I'm like, what? Like, that, that's kind of remarkable. And, you know, they lose in this series. And I know we've talked about the whole issue of the buys. That's not helping these top seeds. But I'm like, they didn't win because their top stars didn't perform. Like, that's not on the manager. That's not on Dave Roberts. That's not on Andrew Freeman. Like, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman went one for 21, and they couldn't pitch. Like, there was nothing more predictable in the history of baseball than Lance Lynn would get lit up last night. Like, he's going to give up at least three home runs, and he gets a four solo in that unprecedented ending, and Arizona rides his hot streak to the victory. But they didn't win because they couldn't pitch. You know what I mean? Like, they just – Bobby Miller stunk. Kershaw was even worse, which is hard to say. Mm-hmm. And, and that's how these things happen. So – um, sometimes you can look at a situation and go, no, oh, the Dodgers, model organization, right? They're always in the division. They're going to get Otani. I'm like, yeah, but they've also won one World Series in the last 15 years, and it happened in a strike-shortened 2020 pandemic year. So it's not always as good as it looks. Yeah, and, and we do this thing in baseball because it, it plays more games than any other uh, North American pro sport, 162 every single day for, for six months. and. And we have a big sample, and then it comes down to the postseason where it's the tiniest sample, especially in comparison. And and that's the way you are ultimately judged. The American League East went 0 for 7, like did not win a playoff game despite having uh, two of the, the, the top teams in all of Major League Baseball in the Rays and, and the Orioles and the, the Blue Jays getting in there as an 89-win team. Is there anything to make of it? Like, is is that just hey, the playoffs and you, you put your hands in the air, or or did we overrate the American League East all season? I don't think we overrated it, Ben, because honestly, they had the best combined winning percentage of any division in baseball, and I believe the third best in the wild card era going back to '94. So, over 162 games, you can't tell me these teams are all not legitimately strong. And again, Boston, the terrible pitching because their offense, they were able to kind of hang in for much of the year. Then they fell apart in September. The Yankees finished 500, but of course, you're expecting more than 82 wins with a payroll of almost $300 million, even with Judge being out for a while. They, they underachieved all over the place, right? Stanton, LeMahieu, Rizzo being out. Radon was a disaster in his first year. Good luck with another five years of that contract. Then you get to the Jays, chronic underachievers, can't even get to 90 wins. The Rays, I think, overachieved. Again, the Rays tied the Dodgers. I'm like, are you kidding? Have you seen that pitching staff? Like, all these guys were gone. McClanahan, Rasmussen, like, they lost four starters to Tommy John, and yet somehow won 99 games, and then they fall flat against the Rangers. The Orioles, though, I think we can criticize. I think that was totally what we can go, hang on a second. You guys were supposed to be the big bad birds of the block, 100 wins, and you were awful in that playoff series. Like, I, I was so excited. The prospect of Camden Yards in the World Series were my favorite ballparks. And, again, this is why it's so frustrating, because their front office, Michael Lance is a really smart guy. They put together all this incredible collection of young talent. But it could not have been more obvious to a third grader they needed to get some starting pitching help. And what did they do at the trade deadline? They got Jack Flaherty. 
With respect to Jack Flaherty, I'm sure he's a great guy. He was a non-factor completely for this team down the stretch and was not a part of the playoff roster. And John Means, who they're hoping for big things, who I do think is a special talent, wasn't quite up to snuff, couldn't get it done. So what ends up happening? Kyle Bradish, good young pitcher, but not great. He's your game one guy, 82 pitches, four and two-thirds, couple of runs, that's it. Grayson Rodriguez, next big thing, disaster in game two. So it comes down to Dean Kramer. Dean Kramer has to save your season. Dean Kramer's not going to do that against the Rangers' offense that completely beat up on the Baltimore Orioles. So I think the division still was really strong. But if you want to start to point fingers, I'd go, uh, Rays, I kind of give them a bit of a pass because they had so many injuries. But Jays, we can certainly fault for underachieving and definitely for the Orioles. They couldn't win a game. That's pretty bad when you win that division. Yeah, it is finger-pointing season. We'll do some more finger-pointing today at 11 o'clock when Mark Shapiro steps to the podium. Hey, uh, Adnan, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. All right, see you. Bye. There's Adnan Virk. Still weird. Yeah, your microphone's not on. Mm, Still weird. Yeah. It is Uh, still weird. (laughs) I'm not going to deny it's weird, but I'm I'm maybe going to lean into it, and it's going to become my new thing. Your thing? Yeah. You know what I was thinking about during the back half of that conversation with Adnan? I'm what sorry if you had some, the thought, but I'm going, so I'm okay. going to go here. Is Keep speaking. You know, there is there is a way around this, all this front office goobledygook talk. What's that? Is you just build a baseball team that's like the Phillies, that's actually fun and wins games and hits homers. And guess what? Guess what? Guess what? No one will ever ask to hear an opinion from their GM. He'll give it because it's, look at this machine I've built. Mm-hmm. But no one's ever going to care about his process or the decision-making involved. Just go have a team that looks like that. Easier he... said than done, I know, but my goodness. And certainly the Phillies have a, an analytics department. Of course. No of course. question. Every team but, does. But you know what they did? Yeah, to your point. They went out and they saw Bryce Harper in free agency. And unlike the Yankees, they were like, we can't fit Bryce Harper. Like, where is he going to play? By the way, he's like, Mickey Mantle's my favorite player. I'd love to be a Yankee. What a swing and a miss. Yeah, honestly. How did you not? Thank thank you. Yeah. Well done. Uh, So they went out (laughs) and got that guy. And they went out and got Trey Turner, who, yeah, was a disappointment for long swaths of the season, turned into Trey Turner by the end of it. They went out and got a guy, Nick Castellanos, who has some warts. Like, there's no question. Mm-hmm. Like, his... Also, just the world ends every time he hits a ball good. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's speaking of which, Kyle Schwarber, like, <laughs> you, you want to talk about a guy who's a fun baseball player. Yes. Uh, fun in a negative sense when he ever has to play the field. But mm-hmm. that's if you can protect him Mash with the it. universal DH... Yeah, no, that's just if if you were gonna put together a, a team of fun dudes, uh, it might look a lot like the Philadelphia Phillies, who, by the way, have the stage all to themselves in uh, Game Four against the Atlanta Braves tonight, eight o'clock on uh, Sportsnet as well. Uh, that's a fun, fun series and a fun rivalry between those two teams. But last thing though, before mm. we sign off here, because this is um, it's a building narrative. I think Ooh. I asked Adnan. Mm. And and Ken Rosenthal, you know, called Blue Jays paper tiger. Oh, I thought you were going to say what he said about the Leafs, <laughs> them frauds or something like that. Apparently, I, I think he called the Blue Jays oh. the paper tiger. I don't. Oh. Did, Ken somebody, Rosenthal had Leaf I, I thoughts. Don't know. That's what somebody told me before the show. I, I, I don't know. That would be incredible. If Ken be. Rosenthal had had Leaf thoughts, but I think the Blue Jays. Well, I can tell you for certain in this market, the Blue Jays are now in. You got to show us before we give you the benefit of the doubt. They have lost that. But around Major League Baseball. And maybe calling them an embarrassment is too far afield here, but Adnan hit it on the head when he talked about dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking rightly about potential dysfunction within this organization when I think 
the one thing I expected out of this group when they took over for Alex Anthopoulos in 2016 and Mark Shapiro being the head of the snake was, if nothing else, they're going to be a little bit more organized and and very professional. And they they came in with at least that reputation. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. We're we're getting away from that right now. It does feel like the tail's wagging the dog a bit. Yeah, you have to get your ducks in a row. It just doesn't seem like everything is tidy and orderly and neat. And say what you will about Shapiro and the way he has been able to somewhat keep himself at arm's length from the baseball part of it right now. That is still very much his job. Top to bottom order, that still falls very much under his purview. So a lot to answer for today. There's a lot to answer for. And sure, yeah, I want to know how the renovations are going. That's, that's great. And like, yeah, where you can get your sushi, I suppose, underneath the, the stands next year because that's what's happening. Really? You're getting like private, yeah, like oh, areas. Okay. I, now I'm just like picturing oh. under the gardener. I'm like, I don't want to eat sushi there, but I think it'll be a little nicer <laughs> no. down at Rogers there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, if there's one thing you take away from this radio program today, don't eat the sushi that's offered to you under the gardener. Okay? Uh, if you take two things away, though, it's be really weird. And when you see someone before 9 a.m., say good morning when you say goodbye. Yeah, uh, I hope to go out into the world and then you know, have multiple people say good morning to me. Trendsetter, baby. In a, in a goodbye context. All right, uh, Mark Shapiro today at 11 o'clock. Blair and Barker starting at 1030 on Sportsnet 590, the fan Sportsnet and Sportsnet 360. We will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, the fan. Good, Good morning. morning.